you, John. Well, I'm glad to be with you guys uh, this weekend, and uh, really thankful for uh, Brittany and the team leading us in worship. And I just wondered if that last song actually captured where you are. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Um, Are you living in that? Are you living free from fear and anxiety? You know, I kind of imagined uh, on the way up that some of you might have breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief when the Senate passed a bill that would keep the government open for uh, 45 days. So you got 45 more days to worry about whether uh, you're going to get a paycheck or how that's going to affect the Virginia Beach economy, right? Does that, y'all care about that? Okay, all right. Um, Maybe that's not your, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe that's not your point of um, struggle. But this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about what it means to trust God in prayer, trusting God in prayer. In fact, I'm going to go on and lay it all out right from the very beginning and say this. Your your prayer life is a primary indicator of just how much you trust God. Let me say that again. Your prayer life is a primary indicator of just how much you trust God. I read just a few weeks ago in my quiet time, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication or petition, uh, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I've read that verse, uh, I can't tell you how many times, I'm very familiar with it, but that morning it landed on me because I realized that there were things I was anxious about. Maybe I wouldn't have used that word, but I felt preoccupied, I felt concerned. I'm the father of two teenage boys. There's a lot to be concerned about. We live in a world that is unbelievably uncertain, and there's a lot to be concerned about. I'm not as young as I used to be. There's a lot to be concerned about. And that morning, I read that verse, and I felt a little bit called out. I felt my anxiety rise up, and I felt the Lord say to me very clearly, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. I want to say this to you this morning. The antidote... The antidote for anxiety is prayer. The antidote for anxiety is prayer. The way that you and I overcome the destructive, disruptive power of anxiety and fear and worry is to do exactly what 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to do. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. We just sang it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I can rest in the arms of my father. I have a father who's full of compassion, so I don't need to be fearful. I can cast it on him. This morning, we're going to take a look at 2 Chronicles 14 and consider how to trust God's care for us and cast our anxiety on him. I know as that passage was being read, y'all were thinking, this is a really weird passage to read in the middle of worship. But I hope that I can unpack it for you this morning and show you from this particular narrative what we can learn about casting our anxiety. 2 Chronicles 14 opens up with Asa, the king of Judah. It introduces us to him. Now, Asa has ascended the throne after the death of his father. And under his leadership, Israel and Judah has experienced a season of peace. In fact, verse 2 of chapter 14 says that that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. 
He obeyed God. He led the people of God to follow God, to walk with Him, to honor Him by how they lived. And as a result, God blessed them and prospered them. But then, out of nowhere, they experienced an unprovoked attack from an enemy. Let's pick it up where we read earlier in verse 8. 2 Chronicles 14.8. Asa, it says, had an army of 300,000 men from Judah equipped with large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin armed with small, small shields and when with bows. All of these were brave fighting men. All right, y'all understand that. You live in a military town full of brave fighting men, right? Okay, you with me or not? Are we, we going to be in this together today? All right, some of y'all are brave fighting men. Are there some brave fighting men in the room? Okay, all right, well, here we go. Um, they're humble, all right. But notice that Zerah, Zerah, it says, had an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots. Listen, they have so many that you can't even count them. Some translations will say a million. But the idea here, the point, is that Asa and the people of God are greatly outnumbered. It's not a fair fight. It's kind of like Ukraine and Russia. It's not, they're not evenly matched, even either with warriors or with equipment. It's not a fair fight. So what does Asa do? He's aware. He knows he's outnumbered. He knows he's outpowered. But what does Asa do? Well, verse 10 tells us that he doesn't shrink back. He goes out to battle to meet the trouble head on. He's ready to do battle. And then let's look at verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there's nobody like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come out against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. I want you to see this. There's no strategy meeting. There's no consulting the generals to make a battle plan. There's no recounting the troops and looking to see if they can find some more men or some more equipment. It's just a prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's not long or eloquent. There are no big words in it. It's just humble, faith-filled, calling out to God who had cared for his people. And God responds in power. Look at verse 12. The Lord, the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. That, that means Asa didn't even have to fight. They didn't have to pull up those swords and spears. God fight for them. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled. They turned tail and ran. And Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great cloud of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen on them. They looted all these villages since there was so much plunder there. They also attacked the camps of the herders and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels, and then they returned to Jerusalem. I want you to listen to the sound of the victory that they won. Not only did they defeat the enemy, they were also able to enrich themselves from the plunder that they gave her. God not only fought for them, he blessed them. 
Y'all, it's an incredible story. And when I read it, it absolutely captured me. Because I often feel like I'm in a battle. I often feel like I'm up against things that are bigger than me, that are too much for me, that are out of, uh, above, as I used to say, above my pay grade. Can we talk about that for just a minute? My guess is that many of us, maybe even most of us today, are facing some kind of battle. It might be small. It might be big. But most of us are up against something. We face something that we know is bigger than us. Maybe places in our personal lives where we are very aware that the enemy, our enemy, has come against us to destroy us, to steal and kill and destroy. And we're overwhelmed. Anybody in the room feel overwhelmed by temptation? Anybody find themselves over and over again drawn to things that they know are sin? It feels so powerful. Whatever it is, it feels like it's more than we can bear. The desires of the flesh, are they're just so strong, and the fight for holiness is real. Maybe teenagers and young adults. How many of you feel the pressure to conform, to give in, to follow the crowd, to do whatever it takes to, to be accepted and approved and affirmed, even, even if you know in your heart it's wrong? Some of you are facing physical challenges. There's health issues or financial crisis, and you're wondering how you're going to be able to get through of it, through this. Some of you experience this in your marriage. Marriage is, marriage is hard. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy to walk together, to struggle together, to be faithful to one another, and maybe you feel it there. Or, or how about your kids? Surely you know that Satan wants to steal your kids. He wants to lead them astray. He wants to keep them from following Jesus. And it just feels like an assault that's coming on them in every direction. Y'all, I, I told my son just last week that I think this may be the hardest time in history to be a teenager. But because of the presence and the, the access and all of the things, the crazy stuff that's going on in our world. And it just feels like an assault. Y'all, we're at war. We're at war. Ephesians 6.12 says it really plainly. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Anybody feel their anxiety rising this morning? Anybody feel like I've uncovered some things that uh, you're like, thank you very much. I thought I had subdued that, pressed that down, and now you made it come back up. Well, here's what I want you to see this morning. Like Asa and the people of Judah, we are often faced with overwhelming circumstances. Y'all, listen, it's not unusual. One of my favorite verses is uh, uh, for 2 Corinthians 10, 13. For no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Listen, there's, there's no trouble that comes against you that's not the common experience of brothers and sisters around the world. And God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. God does not intend for us to be overwhelmed by trouble. He intends to be a good father who carries us and comforts us and fights for us so we don't have to be a slave to fear. Listen, just like Asa and the children of Judah, we have a choice about how to respond, how to respond when those things come against us. 
all right? You can let, we can let anxiety and fear overtake us. We can absolutely become debilitated by anxiety and fear. We can turn and run. We can hide. We can pretend it doesn't exist. We can depend on our own strategies and resources. We can suck it up and one more time go, I can handle this. I can make it happen. Or we can rely on God. We can, like Asa, turn and press in and lean on God. One of the primary ways that you and I demonstrate our faith, our confidence, our trust in God, is through prayer. In fact, your prayer life might be the best gauge of your faith. Let me just say that again. Your prayer life might be the best gauge of your faith. Our fervency in prayer, or lack of it, may be the best indicator of where we've placed our trust. Listen, if you're not praying about it, if you're not praying about it, if you're not offering to God, then here's what you've decided. You've decided you can handle it. You've decided that you have the resources and the ability and the intellect to work your way out of it. You can handle it. Or, you're, or worse yet, you've just given up. You've not praying about it because you've stopped believing in God's ability or His willingness to help. Either way, the absence of prayer reveals a lack of faith. That's a hard statement, but let me say it again. The absence of prayer reveals a lack of faith. If you and I are going to be people who trust God in every situation, then we're going to have to learn to pray like Asa prayed, in a way that stirs up hope and confidence and faith. Listen, prayer is about way more than just rattling off a list of things you want God to do. Prayer is not primarily about getting something from God. Prayer is primarily about getting to God, about growing in relationship with Him and confidence in Him. And if that's going to happen when we pray, then we're going to have to learn to pray in a way that stirs up faith in God and not fear of our circumstances. So let me tell you, let me show you from this passage, I think there are four things that we can learn that show us what the prayer of faith looks like. Now, I'm going to say straight out from the very beginning, here's what you need to notice. All four of these are centered in the person and the character of God, not in your circumstance. Because prayer, faith in God, is not faith in an outcome, it's faith in a person. So we've got to pray that way, all right? Number one, the prayer of faith focuses on the heart of God. The prayer of faith focuses on the heart of God. Look at, look at what Asa said. Lord, there's nobody like you. There's nobody like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Asa knew from past experience, from the history of the children of Israel, he knew that God was powerful and strong. He knew that no one could stand against God. But he also knew that God's heart was for the weak and the oppressed. He knew God had a soft spot for the underdog and was more than willing and able to act in his defense. Listen, Asa wasn't just counting on God's ability. He was counting on God's character. Listen, if you have the ability to help but not the heart to help, then your ability is of no use to anybody. Asa's counting on the character 
of God. Listen, surely Asa was remembering the Exodus. He was recalling what we sang about this morning. You parted the waters and I walked through them. Asa was recalling that. He was remembering how God had delivered the weak and oppressed nation of Israel from the mighty armies of Pharaoh. He was recalling the plagues. He was recalling the cloud of the pillar of fire in the cloud. He was recalling the parted sea and the destruction. He was bringing it all to mind and he knew how powerful God was. But listen, this was not just a demonstration of God's superior power. Often we read these stories and we think this is just God showing how strong and powerful he is. Listen, the scripture is really clear that what motivated God to act on behalf of the children of Israel was not just his superior power. It was his compassion and his concern for them. In fact, Exodus 3 says it this way. Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, these are, these are God's words referencing what he's about to do. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. Listen, God's fight for his people didn't stop there. Throughout Israel's history, God had not only demonstrated his great power, but he had repeatedly acted out of his great love for his people. God wasn't just able to help. He was inclined to help. Listen, that's what the gospel tells us. Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The gospel tells us that God in his great power had great compassion, but God, because of the great mercy that he had on us, because he's his great love for us, his mercy on us, he came to rescue us. Y'all, the gospel tells us not just of God's power, but his compassion. I don't want you to miss this. Throughout this prayer, Ace is very uh, he's very clear about his weakness and his vulnerability. He's aware of how bad the situation is, but he doesn't lose heart because he doesn't focus his attention on the circumstance. He focuses his attention on, and he sets his mind on the heart and his heart on the greatness and goodness of God. It's just possible that some of you this morning are overwhelmed with the difficulties that you face simply because you're so focused on them. Your mind is set on them. You spend a lot of time thinking about the trouble. You can describe it and recount it. You talk about it and you repeat it. And you're overwhelmed because your mind is more consumed with the greatness of your problem than it is with the greatness of God. And I'm going to say that you and I need to stop rehearsing how bad our situation is. And we need to learn to recall and repeat the goodness and the power and the love of God. What do you think would happen in your mind and heart if you spent as much time talking about how great God is as you did talking about how much trouble you're in? If you began to meet the fear in your heart with the greatness and goodness of God. So the first thing I'll say to you is the prayer of faith focuses on the heart of God. The second thing is this. The prayer of faith remembers the faithfulness of God. The prayer of faith remembers the faithfulness of God. Look at, look at what he said. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. Now the word that's translated rely here could probably be better translated lean. So it would read this way. Help us, Lord our God, for we lean on you. 
Now, that word that's translated there, that word that's translated rely there is translated lean. The same word is translated lean in 2 Samuel verse, chapter 1, verse 6. Now, in 2 Samuel 1, Saul, King Saul has gone out to do battle, and he's wounded in the battle. And the Scripture tells us in verse 6 that King Saul is leaning on his sword. Same word, lean. He's leaning on his sword. This is not just a casual resting against something, leaning in that way. This is Saul, critically wounded, near death, devoid of all strength, propping all of his weight on his sword. That's the picture in 2 Samuel 1.6. Do you get it? Do you see that? That's the idea that's here in Asa's prayer. Relying on God. No strength of our own placing all of our weight on Him. But you only do that. You only lean on something or someone that way when you know you can trust them. Right? You don't just randomly place the entire weight of your being on someone unless you know you can trust them. But how how did Asa know that he could rely on God this way. He couldn't be confident. He couldn't be sure that God would give him what he wanted, that he would win the battle. How did he know he could trust God? Well, look at it again. He said, help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. You see how he refers to God? Lord our God. Asa knew that he and the people belonged to God. He, He knew the truth of Psalm 100, verse 3, which says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We're His people, the sheep of His pasture, the flock under His care. The people of God had a history of being loved and led and cared for by their shepherd. Their present reality, where they were, the 10 years of peace that they had experienced in the land of Judah was evidence of God's faithfulness. Joshua 21, verse 43 says this, So the Lord gave Israel all the land He had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their ancestors. No one of their, not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Now listen to that and note how how similar that sounds to the experience of Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. He gave peace. He gave them the land. He defeated their enemies. Listen, even in the face of great opposition, Asa recalled God's faithfulness to his people and his promises. Look at me. Behind you. Behind you is a trail of God's faithfulness. You you didn't get to where you are today by your own doing. You weren't born where you were born by your own choice. You don't know what you knew because you were so smart to pursue that. You didn't come to faith in Jesus because you set out to do that. In fact, very many of us were running from God when He came after us. Listen, behind us is a a trail of God pursuing us, of God working in our behalf, of God orchestrating the circumstances of our life to bring us, to draw us to himself, to show us his goodness. He's been faithful. He's been faithful. 
And we, we need to be able to remember that. Listen, we have more than Asa had. We have the cross. We have the resurrection. We have Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us. We have more than Asa had. We have 2 Corinthians 1.20 for no, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. And so, y'all, if we're going to pray in a way in faith that, that stirs up faith and hope and confidence, then we've got to learn to remember the faithfulness of God and repeat it. Let me ask you a question. Could you? begin to recount how good God has been to you. I don't mean generally speaking. I can, could you speak specifics? Could you build a testimony for someone else to trust God based on the faithfulness of God in your life? Y'all, we got to learn to talk that way to each other, to recall and recount the faithfulness of God. It doesn't matter whether it was last year or 10 years ago or 50 years ago. The faithfulness of God is worth us remembering and stirring up hope and confidence and faith in each other. All right, so the prayer of faith focuses on the heart of God. The prayer of faith remembers the faithfulness of God. And number three, the prayer of faith appeals to the authority of God. Look at what he says. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. In your name, we have come against this vast army. I, I couldn't read that without thinking about David as he approached Goliath, the runt of the family the little shepherd boy with no military experience, a little ill-equipped boy carrying a slingshot and a few stones. He comes out to do battle with this massive giant, an experienced man of war with all his armor and battle gear. Just get that picture in your mind. Little bitty David up against great big Goliath inexperienced, ill-equipped David up against a, an experienced fighting man with all his armor. It's an epic mismatch. But David knows that none of that matters. He's not sizing up himself and sizing up Goliath. This is what he says. As he walks out, he shouts it. You, you Goliath, come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. I think I read that and I think Goliath didn't know what was about to hit him. That didn't mean anything to Goliath. He wasn't impressed by that. But David wasn't trying to impress him. David's calling out faith. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have divided. Listen, David in essence is saying to his enemy, this is not about me. It's not about me and my ability. I'm not coming out here on the basis of who I am and what I can do. This is about God. It's in His name and under His authority. This is all about Him and what He can do. I'm just wondering this morning as I say that, what would it be like for you to back up from whatever trouble you're in and just acknowledge, you know what? The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not my fight. It's not my fight. It's about him. I don't have to make sure that it happens for me. He can do it. It's his fight. It's about him. It's about his reputation. It's about his glory and his goodness. It's about him. It's on him. Here's what Asa knew. It wasn't his party. It wasn't about his authority or his reputation. It was about the God of the universe 
who had orchestrated the circumstances of his life and brought him to this moment and this position. Can I just tell you something? The Lord has ordered your life to bring you to today. My dad often quotes this verse to me. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord orders his steps. Y'all, what confidence that brings. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to work it out. It's not on me. It's on him. So I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to come against the things that come against me in the authority of my Savior. All right, so the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith focuses on the heart of God, remembers the faithfulness of God, appeals to the authority of God. And number four, the prayer of faith rests on the promises of God. All right, look at this. He says, Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. Come on, look at that one more time. Lord, you're our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. I got to be honest with y'all. This was the most confusing part of the prayer for me. How could he even suggest that mere mortals could prevail against Almighty God? I mean, this seems worlds away from where he started. Lord, there's nobody like you to help the powerless against the mighty. There's nobody like you, but please don't let mere mortals prevail against you. I don't see how he says that. Well, let me see if I can explain to you what's happening here. King Zerah and his army have come to conquer Judah and oust them from their homes and land. All right? They're not just trying to conquer them. They're trying to take them out and they're trying to take possession of their homes and land. But this was the land that God had promised his people. These were the homes about which God had said he would give his people even though they did not build them. Deuteronomy 6 verse 10. God promised that he would bring them into the land he swore to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them, a land with large flourishing cities they did not build, houses filled with all kinds of food they did not provide, wells they did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves they did not plant. And God said they would eat and be satisfied. That was the promise of God for his people. And here is King Zerah, the Cushite, trying to undermine that promise and take from God's people what God had promised them. The land represented God's plan for his people. And the enemy's trying to take it away. He's trying to rob Israel of the covenant promises of God. The enemy wasn't just opposing King Asa and his people. They were opposing the work of God in behalf of his children. So Asa is appealing to the revealed purposes and promises of God. Y'all, this is so important because if you and I are going to pray in faith, we're going to need to know what God has promised us. And we're going to need to appeal to His promises and His plans because prayer is not about me getting God on my agenda. Prayer is about me getting myself on His. Prayer is about me surrendering to the God of the universe and giving myself away for His sake. And so if that's going to happen, I need to know what God has promised. I need to be aware of what His plans and His purposes are for me so that I can surrender those. Listen, in faith, Asa is calling on God to finish what he started. God, you promised through Jacob 
through Moses and Jacob that we would take take uh, we would take this land. And so, God, I'm asking you to finish what he started, to make good on your promises. So that's why he says, don't let mere mortals prevail against you. I don't know, maybe, maybe he had Psalm 3310 in mind. This is one of my favorite verses. I memorized it years ago, and I repeat it because I need these words of truth. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He frustrates the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Y'all, that's truth that I need to cling to when the enemy lies to me. When you and I are facing hardship and difficulty, when we feel like everything is falling apart, we absolutely must cling to the revealed purposes and promises of God. That's why I memorize verses like Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. Y'all, I need to remind myself that not, God's not in the business of giving up and walking away. He, he's not about throwing up his hands and giving up. God is committed to finish what he started in me. He's committed to finish what he started in my children. I have to believe that the God of the universe is going to make good on his word and do just that. That's why I memorize verses like Jude one twenty four. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. Y'all, on days where I feel like I can't keep it together, like I can't get it right, like I'm constantly being bombarded with temptation and I'm, I'm not walking as I should, I need to be reminded that God is the one who's promised to preserve me and to keep me. He's the one who's able to keep me from stumbling. And one day, Jude one twenty four says, He's going to present me before His glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. Listen, I'm not going to present myself. I'm not going to finish the race on my own strength. I'm not going to keep the faith and fight the good fight just because I'm strong and determined. I'm going to do that because the promised work of the Holy Spirit in me. God's promised us that He won't leave us or forsake us, that He's always working to conform us to the image of His Son. And so you and I need to know those things, and we need to hold on to those things. we got to cling to it and repeat it. Listen to me this morning. Nothing, nothing can come against, thwart, frustrate, impede, or deter what God has purposed and promised to do in you and for you. I want you to get a hold of that. Nothing, nothing can come against, thwart, frustrate, impede, or deter what God has promised to do in you and for you. And the prayer of faith rests on those purposes and those promises. So the prayer of faith focuses on the heart of God, focuses on the heart of God. It remembers the faithfulness of God, appeals to the authority of God, and it rests on the promises of God. Now, there's one more thing I want you to see here before we close. Do you know where Asa was when he prayed that prayer? I want you to get this. I want you to get this picture in your mind. Here's the king, the king who's supposed to lead the charge, the king who is supposed to inspire confidence and security in all of his fighting men, the king who's supposed to have it together, the king who's supposed to know what to do, the king who is supposed to be the, 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 the symbol of strength. Where is Asa when he prays? 
He's out in front of the entire army. Asa doesn't go in his closet and say a quick prayer and then come out with his game face on. Asa exposes to his entire army his weakness and his dependence on God. Y'all, Asa didn't need the army to believe in him. He needed the army to believe in God. Now, let me tell you why that's important for you. Because you and I need to learn to expose our weakness to each other. Now, we need to be real. It's why you need to be in a community group. So that with a group of people, you can confess your weakness. You can lay out your fear and anxiety. You can have brothers who will come alongside of you, who who understand what it is to be tempted, who know what it's like to be afraid, who can put their arms around you and encourage you to trust God. Y'all, we need to be real with each other. Listen, nobody, nobody benefits from you acting like you got it all together. That doesn't doesn't inspire faith. Actually, what that does is it creates despair in people because they think, I'm not like that. I can't do that. Well, I don't know about that. I guess I'm done for. Y'all, we need to be people who are real with each other, who confess our fears and our anxieties and our worries and our failures so that together we can learn to put our hope in God. So let me ask you this morning. Where have the battle lines been drawn in your life? Where where do you feel overwhelmed? Where are you just not sure you're going to make it? Like it just seems like too much. Like you don't, you can't figure it out. You don't know what the future holds. Well, what if this happens? I don't know if I'll be able to handle that. Where is that spot for you? Let me ask you this. Can you, like Asa, draw up and bow before the God of the universe and say, you know what? This is big. This is big for me. This is hard for me. I'm honestly scared it might take me out, but here's what I know. God, there's nobody like you. There's nobody like you to help the powerless against the mighty. I don't need to be strong because you are. And so you're my God. I'm your child. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I don't have to bow down to fear. I'm a child of God. And the scripture tells me that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God, there's nobody like you to help the powerless against the mighty. So I I trust you. I rely on you. I'm going to lean all my weight on you because you're faithful and you're good. And I know that your purposes and your promises for me are going to be fulfilled. Where is that spot for you this morning? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for just a minute as we close together. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to maybe put your hands in your lap, palm up, kind of like you're holding something in your hand. Both hands, just, just hold them up. And I want you to imagine that that thing, whatever it is, a relationship, a job situation, a health concern, a family member, an uncertainty, a dream that doesn't look like it's going to be fulfilled, Something that you're, that's too big for you. 
Something that you are afraid is going to take you out. Why don't you hold your hands out? Hold that thing in your hands. And I'm going to ask you, can you give it to him? Can you just cast it on him? Can you say to him, Lord, there's nobody like you to help the powerless against the mighty. I'm relying on you. I'm relying on you. I trust you. I trust you, God. I trust you.